All right, welcome to Zero G, a history of forgotten phones. My name is Peter Rojas. And I'm Christy Pitts. And this is the show where we take a walk down memory lane and talk about phones that have been uh, lost to history, uh, though we're getting to the point uh, in this uh, series where we're getting a little bit towards the end. We're 2009, 2010 era, uh, kind of after this point uh everything becomes kind of android and iphone and a little less fun but mm-hmm. we do have this I, maybe this is the last gasp of weirdness in the yeah the that's exactly the phrase that came to mind like the last gasps of differentiated outside of ios and android yeah uh and so there there's a uh we got a, we got a whole bunch it was definitely a pivotal uh every there're definitely like years that you're kind of like what the hell happened and then years where it's like Okay, people tried to figure something out and it didn't work. Um, we saw a little bit of that with the BlackBerry Storm in yeah. the, the 2008 episode. But 2009, I think we have to talk about the Palm Pre because this was supposed to be Palm's comeback. This was the phone that uh, – so Palm had – for people that don't remember, Palm was the original handheld company, at least here in the US. I mean they – invented the PDA more or less. And, uh, and with the Palm pilot had sort of come out, I think with the first real handheld computer that people you that had any success really in the, in the market, at least here in the U S. Yeah. So, um, ah, the Palm pre though, I, well, okay. Uh, so if you've been listening already, you know, we've talked about a lot of other Palm devices, but, and it feels like we've kind of hit on this idea of, oh, this is Palm's comeback device (laughs) a couple of times now. Like Palm definitely, by the time the pre came out, I think everyone knew the writing was on the wall for Palm. Yeah. Well, so, so I mean, the crux of the problem is they had had a uh, well, they did a bunch of weird things, but one of the things that Palm did, which was a little bit strange, is they split the company into two, and they had a handheld, a hardware business, and a software business. So they had Palm, uh, Palm One, which was going to make the hardware, the phones, and then Palm, I want to say Palm Source, which I can't believe I can't remember this now, which was going to make the the OS. They ended up merging those companies back along the way. They bought Handspring, which made the Trio, and and they had this sort of Trio line of 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 uh, smartphones, which in the Trio, as we talked about, in, I think the very first episode, the Trio 600 was an amazing phone and really kind of broke things open for a lot of people. It was my first smartphone and I know it was for a lot of people. And Palm did not move quickly enough. Palm OS, uh, it, uh, it was Palm OS 5, which is what the Trio and, and, and all these phones ran. It was starting to really show its age. They tried to introduce Palm OS 6. That didn't work. And essentially what happened was they had to kind of reboot. And the result of that was in 2009, after a few years in, of you know things sort of, you know, them spinning their wheels, was their answer to the iPhone. Now, this is, you, it's, you, I don't know, maybe you'll think this is funny, but in 2007, <laughs> I wrote an open letter to Palm on Engadget. <laughs> I'm going to read some of this. Yeah, I was going to say, how do we get a quote from this letter? All right, I want to hear okay. it. Dear Palm. This is how I used to blog. Man, what a crazy year, right? We know things haven't really been going your way lately, but we want you to know that we haven't given up given up on you, even though it might seem like the only smartphone anyone wants to talk about these days is the iPhone. You're so encouraging. 
I know. I, I, well, I love the company, even though we had a complicated relationship. Uh, it can be hard to remember right now, but you used to be the company, a company we looked to for innovation. You guys got handhelds right when everyone else, including Apple, was struggling to figure it out. And it was the little things that made those early Palm Pilots great. You could tell that someone had gone to a lot of trouble to think about what made for a great mobile experience, like how many or rather how, how few steps it took to perform common tasks. So what I did was uh, laid out a like point by point set of things that they needed to do to respond to the iPhone. And, and one of the, I, so here's the list on the hardware side is they had to make the phones thinner because the trio was a brick. Uh, it was, it was very, uh, uh, not, not a phone you could, it was light in the palm. Uh, no, no pun intended. No. Um, they needed to get high, bigger, higher resolution displays, which is something that they, uh, again, if you look at the trios, the screens were pretty small, especially compared to the, uh, the iPhone. I actually said that they needed to um, not really mess with the keyboard too much, that they had something that was great with the trio keyboards and they needed to, uh, you know, figure something out there. Uh, I said that they need to make the phones look nice. Uh, I said they needed to add Wi-Fi. And I said, is it really almost 2008 and the trio still doesn't have Wi-Fi? No excuses <laughs> anymore. Sort it out. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, think about adding some storage. Uh, okay. I said eight, eight gigabytes in the cell phone is, ne- is now the new bar. Meet it, meet or exceed it, but don't ignore that fact. Wow. Man, I was such a jerk. Uh, I don't know. I think this is fair. This is fair. Eight gigabytes was the bar. Yeah. Uh, okay. I said completely overhaul the OS, which was the, which is what they did. Uh, and then I said um, that they had to be more open and that they had to do multitasking and they needed to embrace developers. Now, here's the funny thing. If you actually and add a better browser. Now, if you go with, uh, as I said, support multimedia, man, I wrote a lot here. Wow. You <laughs> um, basically laid forth a strategy for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, with the with the Palm, with the Pre, they ended up doing almost all this. It took them like two years. I'm not saying that I they did they looked at the list and did what I said, but they tried to come out with something that had a you know sexy hardware, a nice screen at least for the time. The keyboard was actually it was a little cramped, but it was you know serviceable. Definitely like um, if you were didn't like doing the touchscreen typing on the iPhone, which was still pretty janky at the time. Uh, the tree, the palm was uh, uh, was pretty nice, uh, but then you know the 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 premise of the of the uh, of the pre was that the web developments you could basically make HTML five apps. Yes, yep. Which was a huge change. Yes. In terms, of, the downside is the apps tended to run pretty slowly. <laughs> yes, can confirm. And uh, we should talk about the multitasking though for a minute because it's actually very reminiscent of the current multitasking on the iPhone 10 and 10s. I know. Isn't that what the irony of all this is that the design paradigm of the Palm Pre, which is a sort of card-based interface ended up, it took a long time, but Apple ended up, I'm not going to say they copied it, but they ended up being, creating something reminiscent of it. Totally. You know what else? Um, I just fact-checked this. Do you know what else the Palm Pre was first to market in, in the United States? First phone to ever have this. Actually, I no. think globally, if this, yeah, this looks global. Um, really funny, inductive charging, wireless charging. Oh, that's right. It had that kind of puck type thing. Yeah. And so the reason why I think this is so funny and ironic is because um, we were just talking about this on 2018 iPhones because, you know, there's no longer a headphone jack. 
And so wireless charging was floated as a option. And I was like, isn't that so like 2010 (laughs) It (laughs) is for the Palm Pre. They were out in 2009 with it. Yeah. It's funny because it's one of those things that actually, I I do remember it was kind of, you would, they try to make the, the, the pre kind of pebble like Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, And you would kind of plop it onto the, 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 the puck kind of dock. And it was, it was pretty cool, but it didn't ship with it. I remember it was a, it was a upgrade. uh, It was an upgrade. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, well, I think as we all know, this didn't really solve mom's problems. Nope. The pre. Although they followed uh, although, the Peter Rojas strategy to the letter. <laughs> I know. So I, I guess, I guess I maybe gave them bad advice. Uh, uh, I just think it was no, too little too late. For I, I think it was too little too late. I think they made a couple of mistakes. I think one was the device was underpowered and um, they were under a lot of pressure to keep the, 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 you know, the MSR, MSRP low. And I think that made it very difficult for them to, uh, make the phone as powerful as it really needed to be to be able to do the things they needed to do. Mm-hmm. I also think that they, and I, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way to anybody that worked at home, but I just don't think they were as good at integrating the software and the hardware as Apple was at that point. And, um, uh, and I think it showed. And I think the third thing is they launched this, if I'm not mistaken, as an exclusive to Sprint, which. Oh, Yeah. I, I, I think that turned off a lot of people um, because you had, I mean, you weren't going to switch to Sprint to get a, get a phone. Not, people didn't want to switch to Sprint to get this phone. Yep, that's right. And you know what is actually interesting um, and very speculative on my part, but I wonder if this played into it. So um, remember what you, your commentary about the keyboard that you had in your post? Um, yeah. So I think this is really interesting because um, I don't think... Palm was in a position to do a touchscreen keyboard, but looking at the pre, if you could imagine it, so like if you look at the design, it's um it has a touchscreen and it's a slider, so it slides up and then the keyboard is kind of hidden underneath mm-hmm. it, and then you can yeah. you have a, a tactile keyboard there. But actually, um, that user interface, you could imagine it without the keyboard, and it would have been a completely different experience. I just don't think like what you were saying earlier about the hardware and the software. And having the software to do a digital keyboard would have been feasible for Palm. And I don't know if it would have made a difference or not, but it is something where we saw a lot of devices around this time straddling the um, touchscreen keyboard versus having actual buttons to press. And I don't really think, I'm not sure that was ever really a strong strategic move, especially the way the Palm, for this device in particular, yeah, you know, my sense from at the time was was I think there were a couple of things. I think one was because the trio, like the BlackBerry, was so associated with the keyboard. I think they saw that as part of their legacy and also a way to differentiate against the iPhone at the time, and that they they didn't want to give that up. Now, yeah, I agree with that because I used to sell so much, so many phones with keyboards, and that was how I I sold against the iPhone. Was oh, you know, you you can touch the the keys. But then looking at this, what Palm did was really innovative with the card multitasking. You could yeah. use this phone one handed on a touchscreen, and um, I think you know it's, history has already been written here. But it would, would be really interesting to have seen if they had come out with a fully touchscreen device. Um, whether or not it would have been accepted or been able to compete at the level it could have, it should have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they could have pulled it off. 
it's it's interesting to speculate though um you know i mean i will say that at the time i did want a keyboard right i did not want i and i i wanted a i wanted a pre uh, and a couple of my frustra- a couple of my frustrations with one was i didn't want to switch to sprint i think the other was there wasn't uh google wasn't making any apps for it at the time so i wasn't going to be able to get sort of gmail the way i wanted it on there and that was a little bit of a, a barrier at the time. And I, I think I had the G1 already because that had come out in, in late 2008. And so even though I thought Palm, I preferred the hardware of the pre and even the software of the pre, the fact that I couldn't get the Gmail and other kind of Google exp, you know, experience that I wanted, I guess I could have gotten calendar on there just fine. But I think because I couldn't get the Gmail experience I wanted on the pre, I was just, it, it felt like kind of a, a, a like a deal breaker mm-hmm. uh, for me. Yep. So, um, so I, 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 I didn't mention though, that the CEO of Palm did respond to our open letter. Oh, okay. Was he like, Hey, I put all of your recommendations into place and we still failed. Is that what he said? Well, no, he wrote, this is a, oh. a couple, this is before the, <laughs> this was a, about a month later. Uh, he said, although I can't say I agree with every point, many are right on. We are attacking almost every challenge you noted. So stay tuned. Let's remember that this is very early in the evolution of the smartphone and there is enormous opportunity for us to innovate. Innovate. We've only just begun to fight. Oh. Yeah. Um, wow. Well put on his side, but um, maybe just beginning to fight in 2009 was the wrong time yeah. to start fighting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it was... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, look, I'm glad he responded. I don't think he had to. I also think that that was maybe kind of the high watermark for Engadget and its influence uh, as a as a site that we could have that level of, of impact. I, I think certainly, uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine really any, any, any tech site being able to get that level of response out of a tech company now. Um, at least without it being like some sort of big scandal or something. Like right. That, uh, We're in a new it. era. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Palm Pre, uh, there will be some more pre's that come out. In fact, I think they got to Palm three when the company was ended up being acquired by HP and then everything got shut down. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I almost bought a Palm 3. Like a, uh, There are a few that floated out there uh, that were uh, you could have bought on eBay and things like that. I almost came close to buying one, but never got around to it. Yep. Okay. What do you want to talk about next? Um, okay. So let's talk just for a second about the BlackBerry Storm 2. Okay. Okay. Which... This phone got a sequel. Yeah. So it's like, could you imagine the biggest flop of a movie that was ever released? And then could you imagine doubling down and releasing another movie with pretty much exactly the same plot, all the same actors? (laughs) 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 And then being surprised when it didn't go well, (laughs) because that's pretty much what happened with Blackberry Storm 2. Yeah. um, I I was genuinely surprised that they came out with a, a sequel. So. I mean, I can't even, for the life of me right now, I'm trying to think of what the differentiator was between the Storm and the Storm 2. There maybe was a couple of hardware tweaks. I um, think, did they get rid of the click, the clicky screen? No. Is not that as, one? No, no, they still I, had it. Yeah. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, and it was, says um, it had piezo, okay, maybe you know this word, piezoelectric piezo. sensors. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. That's the clicky screen, uh, right? I think so, but that that usually means like a haptic. 
it may, maybe more haptics than like true haptics than like uh, uh, the actual clicky screen. Okay. With the, so I, I, I thought that they did get rid of that, but I don't know. Do you it, think it that like, I should edit Wikipedia and put parentheses and say this means clicky screen? <laughs> no, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I Just would never, kidding. I w- <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So you're Verizon. Yeah. How- how did this go over? Not well. The story too? I think I just want to paint the picture here. Um, if okay. you worked at Verizon, you already knew when the iPhone was released that that was a pretty major event. Now we're talking, now a couple of years have gone by since then, right? Um, and there was a lot of hype. It's, it's like probably, it's really hard to explain the amount of hype that there was around the storm launch. And then we already talked about how that didn't go well. And so if you're still at Verizon and you're still selling phones when the Storm 2 comes out, you've really got to be, um, your patience is, is running out. Like The Storm 2 is not giving you any relief. It's not helping you hit your quota. And <laughs> you have to deal with tons of upset customers. Like that's the other thing. Um, did, they, did they feel like they were Osborne? <laughs> not Osborne, but like they feel like they bought, they just got the Storm and then Storm 2 comes out. Because it wasn't that long in between the devices. It wasn't that long in between the devices. I do remember um, maybe we had like did a lot of early upgrades from people that got the Storm 1. And then they were like, thanks for giving me this other Crappy shitty phone. Blackberry. I'm returning it yeah. now. <laughs> it was just bleak. It was a bleak time it, frame. And it, and it was, and the storm two was just a. It, it had to be less buggy, but it was still buggy. Super buggy. Um, similar. I remember a lot of similar issues with the landscape portrait mode issues, where the phone was supposed to be doing that on its own. You couldn't lock it in one view or the other. Um, yeah. Looking at the wiki page, there was. It does say that there was a redesign on sure, sure type, which was um, sure type. If we remember, is the smaller keyboard that was used on the BlackBerry yeah. Pearl. And yep. I actually do remember the SureType redesign um, being a better experience because effectively you could keep the phone in portrait mode and type with one hand and it worked pretty well. But I mean, that doesn't make up for all of the other issues that it had. Yeah. Well, the thing that always struck me was, was um, there, the, the struggle to get developers to build apps for... Um, you know, for that platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when the, uh, wait, I mean, do we even want to talk about the tablet, the BlackBerry tablet? Oh my gosh. Which was. <laughs> <laughs> we really talk- do explore every single. <laughs> how, how about this? How about we do a bonus episode, which is just tablets that are lost to history. Yes, because then we could talk about the Motorola Zoom with an X. Yes. Do you remember I that? Had. I had one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe we do it. Okay. We're going to say that. Okay. <laughs> the BlackBerry tablet. I went to the, okay. I'll just, the only thing I'll say is I went to the launch event for the BlackBerry tablet, which I can't remember the name of right now. Um, and it was pretty, pretty sad. Yeah. Pretty sad. Uh, okay. So we're, we're going to save that. Uh, so BlackBerry Storm 2. Uh, so, okay. So there was one phone that I definitely wanted to talk about. Yeah. Uh, in this podcast, I, when I when we first came up with this idea for the new podcast, this is one of the phones that I wanted to to make sure that we we did talk about, which was HTC the HD two. This was a Windows mobile phone, Windows mobile smartphone, ran Windows mobile six point five. Yeah, it came out in late two thousand nine. Really came out in the US early uh, twenty ten, 
it was the first Windows mobile phone with a capacitive touchscreen. So it was kind of a big, you know, leap forward for them because everything before that had been resistive, which was, you know, for obvious reasons, pretty bad. Uh, but this phone was gigantic. At the time, it seemed gigantic. It has, and I, and the thing is, I knew it couldn't have been as big of a screen as I, as I want to remember it being, but I checked 4.3 inch screen. So really not even that much bigger than, uh, you know, the, uh, the iPhone four, for example, mm-hmm. um, definitely bigger than the 3.5 inch original iPhone, mm-hmm. but the, um, the, or not iPhone four, sorry, the iPhone, uh, not much smaller than the iPhone with the 4.7 inch screen, the iPhone, uh, I want to say iPhone six. Um, so the, uh, this was a, uh, uh, a phone, which I don't know if you did you ever, do you ever play with this one? It was, uh, it was definitely like the best, one of the best windows mobile phones that came out before they, you know, went to windows phone. But what was amazing about it is it ended up having this really interesting kind of afterlife where people we're always trying to run other operating systems on it. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, you know, it got like, I mean, they got Android up to Android seven uh, on there. Uh, people have got Ubuntu on there, mm-hmm. um, which is not even a, a mobile OS. <laughs> and, uh, or maybe it was the, I want to maybe, yeah, I think it was the, the, the desktop version of, of Ubuntu. It was just sort of a remarkably versatile uh, piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh but the, um, uh, I, I think it was not necessarily like commercially a, a big success, but it was sort of like, you know, we've talked about high watermarks for these different kind of platforms, which have died out. This was, I think, as, as good as Windows Mobile got before everything fell apart. Yep. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And I think also, um, I don't think we ever had the HD2 at Verizon, but I do think that um, I remember, you know, we were a bunch of phone geeks and so people would buy phones, um, full price or like online Craigslist or eBay or whatever. And so there were a few people that, um, were, were booting other versions on it. Like the Android version, for example, that was really like a, like, a, like people would have other versions of phones and bring it to work. We'd be like, what is that? <laughs> Well, it was a, it was a, I mean, it was a solid phone. And, and at the time for 2009, it had pretty solid specs. I mean, it had uh, a one gig processor, um, 800 by 480 resolution screen, which was definitely better than what you got of the iPhone at the time. And so I think it was, uh, it was a little bit like the, 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 like I said, with Windows Mobile, it was like trying to like just make the, the best Windows Mobile phone they could make, but it still had, it was still held back by the software and uh and and that was ultimately like where you know microsoft could take windows mobile uh, no further mm-hmm. yep i think that's a good way to sum that up yeah um obviously like i think the, the coda to this is that they did end up with windows phone a few years later but i'm not sure we'll we'll get to that or not but we do have to talk about <laughs> The other thing Microsoft tried to do in mobile around this time. Oh my gosh. The thing long forgotten. We have been saving this one. I'm so excited to talk about this. So <laughs> this was a Verizon exclusive. Yeah. We were getting all of this. <laughs> what did you walk us through? Everything that wasn't an iPhone, we were exclusively launching, it felt like. 
Unfortunately, <laughs> they were all shitty. <laughs> no, okay. That might be too too much of a sweeping statement. But this phone definitely um, did not live up to expectation. And this was the Microsoft. Well, that is an understatement. Kin. So, so walk us through what this was and how. <laughs> What what the this I think this is the, uh, this was a by all by all accounts a fiasco. I don't know how people were taking on the Verizon side. Yeah, no, it was a fiasco of Verizon too. Um, so okay, so I feel like the best way to ex- explain this phone is if you could imagine a bunch of um, middle aged strategy folks locked in an ivory tower, thinking about young people in social media and trying to come up with a phone to compete with smartphones that would be attractive to people who like the MySpace generation, right? So this might be actually a really good example of like one of the first millennial focused marketing attempts because the Kin was built around social. It was all supposed to be social. The reason like the name Kin, like your family, right? Um, The target demographic were people between the ages of 15 and 30. And it was, um, I think, it was a slider, so it had a full keyboard, and then it had a touchscreen on top. Well, and there were two. There was the Kin 1 and the Kin 2, yeah. which we should talk about as well. So it was just really um, – um, I think the best way to describe the the experience, like the user experience in the OS, was that it had very little functionality. Like whoever was designing this OS was like, okay, what do teenagers like to do? They like to text each other, and they like to – um, share photos and share photos, but then they, like everything else that you would take as table stakes in a phone, for example, like an alarm clock, not included. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how many kids we sold, maybe three. <laughs> well, at Verizon, I don't know, it was awful. <laughs> the backstory, as I understand it, was so Microsoft ended up buying Danger, which was the company that made the um, you know, the uh, sidekick, yeah which we've talked about earlier. And then essentially had like a massive data breach, which everyone has forgotten about, uh, that exposed all this like personal user data uh, on the sidekick. Then they ended up deciding to mainly abandon all of the, the, like the actual work that had been done on the OS and essentially fork uh, the work they were doing on, I believe it was the next version of Windows Windows Phone, which is the successor to Windows Mobile, and come out with something that was not really a smartphone OS. Was this sort of, and you have you noticed that Microsoft kind of does this from time to time, where where like when they came out with like the, the version of the Surface that you couldn't install apps on, or you could only install like a limited number of apps and like that kind of stuff. So um, they do this thing where they they come out with something that's like really truncated, and they think that it's. It's, it was almost kind of like over-optimized and so um, closed that it didn't allow anybody. And we, the, the, one of the reasons why the iPhone was successful is that Apple didn't try to make everything for it, right? They, they, they ended up opening it up, creating the App Store, and uh, you know things that they would never have thought of ended up getting built for it that made the phone successful. With the Kin, it was sort of like, here's what you can do. You have this like weird kind of quasi social network you can use to share with stuff. Um, but if you really want to do like email or anything else, anything productive, like none of that stuff is really going to be a great experience for you. Uh, and you still need to pay, pay for a data plan at a time when a lot of kids couldn't afford them. And a lot of parents 
didn't necessarily have smartphones themselves. And so they didn't have data on their family plan. I'm trying to remember, did email? Yeah, you did have to pay for a data plan, but that's where I remember we were just befuddled because what the features that we would normally use to describe the benefits of the data plan, I feel like the kin was missing them. Like, I don't think it had games or like you couldn't install, there was no app store yeah. from, from. So occasionally what would happen, you know, when we would launch new phones, cause we launched a lot of phones, right? So not everybody would have the chance to get trained on everything. And I remember, yeah. um, you know, like if you had somebody who had been off, they came in, they were helping a customer, they sold a phone and they didn't know what, how something worked. They would ask somebody else. And I just remember with the kin that one, somebody had come in and bought it. And then in the store, the person who was helping them was like, oh, let me show you how to set up your email or whatever it was. And then that yeah. person was like, oh, wait. And then that person, so then the way this plays out is that person goes to the other people like, oh, maybe I missed something. And the other people are like, oh, no, bro, that phone doesn't have email. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just so weird. <laughs> then they're like, but they already have sold it. And so they're like, uh, let me walk this back. <laughs> yeah. How can I get you into it? You don't do email, do you? Like no one does email anymore. Yeah. And and it's like that only has to happen a handful of times for people never want to touch the thing with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I did think that there was a couple of things that I did like about it. Uh, I mean, one was that they did have, and at the time, this was something that was not avail- really that even a, that available for a lot of phones, but it did have a pretty good backup to the cloud. Yeah. Of yeah. your, you know, so if you lost your phone, you basically log in and restore everything and have like everything back the way you'd had it before. And so I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I mean, you know, we take all that for granted now, but in, you know, 2009, 2010, that was pretty, uh, pretty uncommon. The other thing is I actually kind of like the hardware. Uh, it, I mean, I, I didn't think it was amazing, but I thought the, the Kin 2 had, I, I didn't like the Kin 1 at all. I know people that do, but the Kin 2 had kind of a nice vertical, you know, kind of nice uh, slider, um, not the vertical kind, but the horizontal slider. Yeah. We've seen other phones with that kind yep. of design, but I kind of liked it. I, I thought it, I, I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, and um, it, I thought that if they had, I think my assumption was that they were always going to open it up and sort of try to fix some of those problems and, and um, make it more like a, a smartphone mm-hmm. OS, but they didn't get that chance because I think it was how many weeks before they killed it. It got this guy killed. I don't even know, but I just remember it was quick. Uh, uh, the, the thing that I read is that they didn't even manage to sell. They sold less than 10,000. I do remember that we sold, um, we ported somebody from AT&T who had an iPhone onto Verizon and sold them a Kin. I remember this distinctly because I took a picture of, (laughs) um, of, we have these machines in the stores. We had them at the time. They were called Cellbrites. It's still a company that exists. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you were, you, we use the machines to move people's information. So like, you know, their contact lists or whatever. I took a picture yeah. of the iPhone and the Kin both hooked up to the Cellbrite and sent it to my colleague. And I was like, can you believe it? It's happening. And my colleague was like, this is the only one I promise you. <laughs> so I want to see so, if I can find this picture. I'm hoping I still have it somehow, somewhere. Uh, that would, be, that would yeah. be great. Okay. So I'm looking this up. It went on sale May, 2010. Verizon stopped selling the phones within two yeah. months. Yeah. Wow. It, 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 
was, I mean, how uh, unrealistic were the expectations at Verizon around this? I mean, Microsoft, I think, was just deluding themselves around it. But um, for, for Verizon, you know, by doing this as an exclusive, had to have believed in it, or at least felt like they were getting something out of because you know there's usually some commitment on the carrier side to do an exclusive. Yeah whether it's a minimum minimum device buy or marketing support or mixture. Right. Of and things. there was a ton of marketing behind the kin. Uh, yeah. So there's, it definitely wasn't for a lack of marketing. Um, you know, it is a really, it was a really fast turnaround, but this was during a time when we did have um, quick, quick turnarounds on exclusives um, or phones yeah. like getting pushed and never launching. HTC Diamond is an example of that, which is one we talked about on another episode. Um, yeah. And we were really in this like tough position where we couldn't compete with the iPhone with any with any kind of smart device. And I think at this point, what what had we launched? We launched the Storm, so that there's Rim, that failed. We had Sprint was exclusive with the Pre, but we also had the Pre and the Pixie. Um, I don't think Sprint had a very long term exclusivity on. No, I think I think I think Verizon got them eventually. Yeah, we yeah. had the Samsung Omnia. We had pretty much anything Windows. We didn't have the HD two, but we had other Windows mobile devices that were competitive and nothing was really taking off. The only things, the real um, strong players on our lineup at that time were your BlackBerry Bold, your um, upgraded curves, like whatever the latest iteration of that device was. And then your LG, like your LG Voyager, LG Envy, Envy2, Envy Touch, that line was very solid, but we really weren't in a position where we could compete in, um, against iPhone. It was a tough time. Yeah. Who was buying the the NV Touch um, at the time? Because, I mean, this also came out mid-2009. Mid and we've talked about the earlier versions of the the NV. The phone was sort of the clamshell with lots of key, lots of keypads and multiple uh, directional pads and stuff like that. Yeah. So someone, someone people Tons of these. people bought them. It was a great midline phone for somebody that didn't want the burden of a data plan, but wanted some connectivity. So you... So yeah. the data features were $15 a month for unlimited. Um, you had unlimited access to the web and email and so forth. And you had the full QWERTY keyboard. So if you are into text messaging, you could text message pretty easily. And so this was like, you know, um, lots of, I would say like if I had to describe the demographic, I would say somebody that felt like they couldn't justify a smartphone, but they knew that they really liked using their phones and they wanted the access to the to apps, some games, some multimedia content, and the ability to text really easily. Did they, uh, just as an aside, um, what was the state of the of the Vcast, the TV service? Because they did have that service, which was, there was a, a, a over a data plan mm -hmm. streaming service, but then wasn't there also something that was meant to work over um, like a broadcast, like subcarrier? Yeah, the OTT. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Vcast, um, Vcast actually was the branding that we used for a lot of uh, multimedia. So if you were a Verizon subscriber at this time and you had Vcast, probably what you're thinking of is there were a lot of different video clips or short videos that you could watch that were available on your phone. And these could be like, you know, five minutes of American Idol results, right? Stuff like that. Then there was also Vcast TV, which um, on devices like the one device was the LG VX9400. Um, which was from a, a bit of an earlier time. It might've been 2007 or 2008, but it was a candy bar phone that had a screen that flipped to be um, landscape, but you held the candy bar, it kind of like flipped at a 90 degree angle. 
I don't know if I can better describe it than that. But that phone had Vcast TV. Yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, that so that and the Vcast TV was actually live TV. Like you could, you yeah. can. No, I remember there was like a limited like uh, uh, like broadcast like HDTV. Like you could, you had to have a, tu- a phone with a yeah. tuner that could, uh, you know, that that could work with uh, that that was compatible. And I think people thought, well. Bandwidth is expensive and and uh, there's limited capacity. And so we'll just put these tuners into the phones and you'll be able to sign up for like a mini kind of cable TV yeah. package almost. And uh, that didn't really work. No, I mean, um, but I think it's really interesting from the timing perspective and it's a whole different podcast. But like, obviously, um, if, we, if you look at the TV landscape at the time, Sling was out and Netflix streaming was a pretty new thing, I'm thinking. Like it existed. There were no Netflix. There was no Netflix original content. Hulu was a new thing. Um, so the cable providers, you know, the concept of cord cutting was still relatively new. It wasn't like it is today where you have Netflix, Amazon, Hulu really competing against Comcast and Verizon. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the landscape is so different. I mean, we, we could talk about this forever, but the landscape is so different now. And I think when you go back eight, 10 years in a, what people thought of as a bandwidth constrained environment, which is essentially what it, what we, what it was, um, finding ways to avoid delivering video over IP networks, uh, was really attractive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly people thought they were going to be able to, uh, um, you know, figure out, um, you know, ways to get consumers to pay for this stuff. Uh, and, and that was turned out to be really the hard yeah, part. Yeah. And I think the last thing is that the consumer needs, and once we're shifting very quickly as new technology was coming out. So I'll give you an example. Um, we used to demo the VCast TV all the time because that was like part of our job, right? And people would be like, okay, cool. So can I like use it with my TiVo or my DVR? <laughs> oh, are you, are, do you have to look at those people and be like, oh, 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 you. Yeah. Like that's- but then like, that's the thing is, so if you think about Let me break this down for you. Like how magical would it have been in like 1995 if I walked up to you with the LG VX9400 and I was like, you can take this anywhere and watch TV. It would have blown your mind, right? But like- Oh, I would have been been all over it. But but by the time uh, VCast TV came out, it was no longer what people were interested in. They wanted to be able to control their experience. Oh, we're so jaded at that point. (laughs) (laughs) so uh so speaking of jaded i don't think we have that many other things we want to talk about in this episode but um i did want to just make a passing mention of the nokia n900 which was um again nokia getting to sort of the uh the the end of the line one of the things that um we haven't talked too much about on this series is that uh you know just as palm was struggling with palm os5 to to ship a phone with a modern os nokia uh, by continuing to ship phones running um, with Symbian was also struggling. And so they actually had another uh, sort of, I guess, more kind of touch-friendly, more modern uh, OS called uh, MIMO, which went through a bunch of different names. I think it was called Moblin. <laughs> um, and also, ended up, I think it ended up after this being called Migo. Uh-huh. Yeah, M E E G O. I can't. I can't remember the sequence at this point. Somebody remembers better than I do. Uh, but this was a again. Um, it was sort of in that line. We talked about the Nokia seven seventy, the internet tablet. This was um, a, actually an actual phone came out with a um, uh, with a uh, um, 
you know, 3G uh, radio and all that stuff. Um, but it just still, despite, uh, you know, it having, you know, pretty decent hardware, certainly nice design, pretty decent hardware, uh, compute, uh, uh, keyboard, it still had a uh, resistive, resistive touchscreen, for example. So they couldn't get to capacitive. And um, I, I think they were still kind of stuck in the, the interface paradigms that they were using before with, um, you know, their Symbian-based devices. It, it, a lot of it just didn't feel as modern as it needed to be. And even though some things were more um, powerful about the N900, um, it was still a, uh, uh, you know, it, it didn't seem like they were going to get there. And Nokia themselves seemed really on the fence about how hard they wanted to push this as the future uh, for their phone. So I just want to, you know, kind of note that it was a device that I, I had and played around with a little bit at the time and uh, just wanted so much more out of. But I think we want to wrap up with another Verizon <laughs> exclusive, yes. right? Yes, finally the exclusive we had all been waiting for which was in 2009, um, Verizon launched the Motorola Droid and the HTC Eros, E-R-O-S. Um, and yes. this was, although Android had already launched in 2008 with um, T-Mobile, this was really like the big commercial launch for Android in the US. And it could not have come soon enough. The amount of relief felt by everybody internally at Verizon when we launched a Droid is like, indescribable. We had lines outside of our stores. We were selling out of the devices um, within a couple hours of opening. The, con- the customer demand and the internal demand was there. And I mean, now Android is the biggest OS in the world, right? Mobile OS in the world. Oh yeah. By, yeah. I mean, far. I can't, yeah. Ryzen um, can't take credit for that, but yeah. Mobile but OS, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a huge turning point in the world of mobile and um, it was a, a massive relief. Like I cannot emphasize that enough. We were so excited. I remember the day that we launched Droid. We had, I just sent um, Peter a picture because when I was home for Thanksgiving a little bit ago, my mom was still wearing my Droid launch shirt. Like my, my parents, you know, I don't know if you if people's parents do this, but like I send all the old free shirts their way and they'll like wear them for pajamas or work or whatever. And um, she had the Droid does logo on the back of her <laughs> yeah, shirt. I remember that. So, um, yeah. And then it was just like, it was a high mark from then on. Um, then we had 4g launch soon after that with the HTC Thunderbolt and there was just a lot of forward momentum. Um, but up until yeah. that moment in time, it had been a bleak, bleak desert of failed exclusive devices. Were those the first two Android devices on, those weren't the first two Android devices on, on yeah, Verizon, they were. were they? Yeah, they were. Well, so Verizon really hung back because t- I mean, T-Mobile had already had. Uh, I think they had the G1. Had to have been at least a year. Yeah, early. I think so. Yeah, so this is October two thousand nine, and the the G the G1 was uh, I think October two thousand eight. Yep. So so Verizon like hung back, um, but worked really closely with Motorola. And the thing I remember was the campaign was really around what are the things that this phone does that the iPhone doesn't do the droid. That's what yeah, the droid, droid does. does. And from. I think the way we, um, or at least for me, the way I heard this campaign and translated it was the amount of the ability to customize your experience on your phone. So iOS already yeah. had the app store, so you could download apps, but you couldn't, um, customize with widgets the way you could customize your home screen with widgets on Android. 
And um, yeah. a lot of, many of the apps in the, um, I think at the time, was it Android Market? I think that's what it was. I can't remember exactly. Uh, yeah, they, they, They've they changed, changed the, name. the name. I think it's called Play Store now, but back at the time it might've been Android Market. You could download pretty much an app for anything. Like you want to change the fonts, download an app. Like you could, we had... I mean, people really got creative with it. And it was the first time that we had a stable OS where the we didn't have a line of customers coming in every day with their phones just bricking. I love it. It's like, we finally shared the phone. You know, just kind of... Yeah, seriously. Works. It was like, I just can't emphasize enough. It was a breath of fresh air. Um, you had everything that the Verizon nerds loved, you got. You got a physical keyboard. Um, you got a removable yeah. battery. You got expandable memory. <laughs> you got all these things that we had used for years to sell against the iPhone. And you got this incredible experience yeah. on Android and the ability to customize with apps. And um, from a network perspective, I think what was really interesting at the time was, I think um, this was really like at the height of the 3G wars. And we really didn't have as much, I mean, I'm going off of memory here, but I'm thinking because we hadn't had so much smartphone penetration on our network, our experience, the, the network experience was better too. So that was really when we yeah. were able to come and fight and play. Well, I think the, uh, I think we, a lot of people forget is that the iPhone in the US was exclusive to AT&T for a, a, mm -hmm. a while. And it was a big moment when, I remember there was a press conference just to announce that, that Verizon was getting the iPhone. I mean, that was a big deal, but but everybody else was had to have their answer. And the droid was finally, I mean, the storm <laughs> was supposed to be the answer and that that clearly didn't work out. And so the droid was was going to be that answer. And one of the things I kind of you know, uh love or at least I'm amused by about the answer about the droid's answer is that it was a really masculine device. Oh yeah. I mean it was like it was a, like it had this like kind of gold um accents and was like really solid and um like, like almost like kind of, I don't want to say brutalist, but it was like, not like a friendly looking device. It was like, it was, uh, meant to be like, you know, like this is a real piece of hardware or you can have an iPhone. Yeah. You know, like it was like, they try to draw a strong contrast yeah. there. And the droid does like droid whole thing was very, um, very masculine and that brand still persists. I think there's some iteration of droid today, um, I don't know what Verizon is saying today, but there's like Droid Max and like all kinds of um, different droids. And actually that did turn into an issue, I think later when, or I do think, I think they're the, like the feeling, um, I don't know necessarily, I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, Android, it wasn't like women came in and were like, oh, that phone is too ugly, so I don't want to buy it because they were like, should have had a horrible BlackBerry. <laughs> Give it to me. Does it work? <laughs> I'm going to take it. Give me two. Yeah. But um, I do remember, um, you know, feminizing was, wasn't really, it was like you took it as what it was and it was not um, pretty. Yeah. And there was yeah. a phone that HTC had. I cannot remember the name. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, they came out with it in maybe 2011 or 2012. And it was like the droid for women. It came, it was like purple packaging. Oh, what was it called? Yeah, it, yes. I want to say Iris, but I can't, uh -huh. that's not it. Cause I just tried to look it up. Uh, oh, and wow. it was like a play on, um, on like the bliss. The bliss? Plus. Yeah. Oh my HC gosh. Bliss. Look at this. This is a classic yeah. example of like pink and shrink. 
I googled HTC Android for women, and that <laughs> yeah. came up. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was not a successful successful yeah. device. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it had like purple earbuds that came with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and it had like a um, jewel thing that you could like clip to it. Oh, yeah, Ugh, yeah, or horrible. So, anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know that was not a, a successful. Uh, yeah let the bliss and the kin be a lesson to you if you're listening (laughs) (laughs) um never try to make people happy uh don't reduce your customer to a stereotype how about that yeah exactly that is the real lesson is that you you um is your customer is probably a lot more sophisticated than you uh exactly credit for so the droid one thing i thought was noteworthy about the about the droid name is that they did have to license the name from yeah Lucasfilm. and we had a we like had a part. um literal droid edition like a special edition droid that was like an r2d2 yeah oh that's right well who who, who did the licensing was it Motorola or was it verizon, verizon who owns the trademark verizon under the verizon. droid brand okay because there are other i mean like you said there are a lot of other droid phones i mean there's the droid yep, all verizon droid max uh Yep. Yeah, all, okay. But but they all are Motorola phones, I yes. think. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so like there were some but, HTC but, phones that were released but, under the Droid name. And then, okay. And then actually, okay, this is a really good um, thing to note too, because you had Droid come out, very strong partnership with Motorola and Verizon. And then really soon thereafter is when Galaxy came, Samsung Galaxy, and that was Android. Yep. So this is like the era of the yeah. flagship. The flagships are just being born. Yep. Yeah, and this is kind of where the phone world becomes, in a way, less, I'm going to say less magical, but there is some of the, uh, it's a little bit like when that weird, like we'd say, like this phone world gentrified, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what, that's what yep. you describe it. Uh, and uh, yeah, obviously, we have a lot of awesome phones now, um, but I think the... Uh, the the space to be weird and experimental and to you know work at a coffee shop while you're working on your art like that doesn't have that, that you can't do that anymore no. in the phone world like that's uh, uh you you have to be in it to win it and it after really after 2011 2012 is when it starts to become all about android and iphone and again we gained a lot but um i think the whole point of our this show at least is to talk about the things that uh, we forgot. So here's my question for you. My question is, if we were going to record another um, another iteration of this show 10 years from now, who do you think the major players will be? In terms of the hardware or in terms of the in terms of the, the manufacturers or in terms of the, the OSs? OS. Actually, I think it's still going to be Android and iPhone for the most part. And I think that we've hit the top of the S curve with mobile, and um, I, I think that it's gonna, I, I think it's gonna stabilize just in the way that desktop OSs did, and and it's not like it's just a function of time until somebody replaces Windows and Mac OS and and Ubuntu, right? I mean, the, the, or Linux, desktop Linux. It's there's not like there's some other like fourth thing that somebody's gonna introduce. It's just the market matures and uh, things stabilize, and it just there isn't as much there isn't a market there's an opportunity to grab market share in a way that you could 10 years ago which is what apple and and uh, and google were able to do is to realize that the existing 
options for consumers were not that great. And that if you came out with something better, you could conceivably grab market share. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were able to do. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I think that there is going to be some pretty massive shifts in how we interact with our devices and our worlds around us. And yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, right? So I think I still I do agree with you that Apple and Google will still dominate in terms of um, the platforms, but I I think it'll be very interesting to see what the experiments will be, and hopefully hopefully some of these bets will pay off. Yeah, I I mean I I I think that. Uh, I, I think that there every time, I mean, this is something I, I believe really strongly is every time we see a new interface develop, that there are um, opportunities to to kind of hit the reset button and, and redefine how our relationship to our technology. And it's clear that with augmented reality and with um, audio and, and other, um, you know, smart speakers and things like that, like we're starting to get to a place where you can, um, you know, like I would say that, uh, like I wouldn't have guessed, like, I think the, 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 like, I wouldn't have guessed 10 years ago that the, uh, that Amazon would be a huge player in like the smart speaker category, right. That you would say, okay, after smartphones, we're going to have these like, you know, AI enabled, uh, uh, speakers right, in right. our, you know, in our kitchens. and Amazon is going to be the number one player. You'd be like, come on, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Right, right. Like who would have guessed that, right? And I, and I and I think that's and I and I think just as I think in two thousand one to say or in two thousand two to say this company that makes a, a, a search engine is going to be is going to make the the most successful operating system for phones. I think you would have you would have said I don't right. I don't see it. Um, it's going to be Nokia right. or something like that. And so I I think it's less about like what. Um, oftentimes about like less, it's oftentimes less about like who, um, you know, about what supplant, about supplanting what exists before as much as sort of superseding or, or redefining the category in a way that, um, creates opportunity. So I, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see where Amazon takes Alexa mm -hmm. as a platform, uh, and, um, and how that, you know, starts to collide with this, the mobile space. Um, obviously they're. I mean, we could do a whole episode on the Fire Phone, which <laughs> if we did, we would have to do an episode about the Facebook Phone. Oh man! <laughs> okay, maybe we have future episodes, but um, we should probably Anyways, wrap it up. Anyways, <laughs> time will tell. Time will yes. tell. Okay, so I think we have a, a bonus episode about the tablets. Yes, uh, in our future, because there are definitely some some doozies out there. Uh, and uh, thanks again for listening. Yeah, we always appreciate all the support, and we're both easy to reach. I'm at Peter Rojas on Twitter. I'm at I'm Christy Pitts on Twitter. And we will be back soon enough. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.